You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. Today, I want to interview our guests. We have Judy Pedgriff, who joins us as a woman who has paved the way for many people. Judy has worked 50 years in heavily male-dominated industries, standing up for women everywhere. Dr. Karen O'Donnell was one of 20 women in a class of 160 in dental school with mostly male instructors, and her locker was in the men's locker room. Karen was also the first female on the board of the South Suburban branch of the Chicago Dental Society and later became its first female president. And the first board meeting she attended, the men there asked if she was there to serve them coffee. Jennifer Weigel has spent 25 years in Chicago as a broadcaster and journalist. She currently hosts a nightly show on WLS AM 890 from 7 to 9 p.m. Central. It's the only female-hosted weekday show on the station. Mary Beth Hearn is the director of a career center at a local university. She works with women who are looking to start careers and career changers. As a Gallup certified strength coach and entrepreneur, she encourages women to leverage their strengths at work and in life. She serves on various nonprofit boards and worked in the healthcare and building industries in the past. Shruti Taquani is a licensed mental health counselor who specializes in trauma, grief, and loss. She spent 13 years working in the US college system in the field of student affairs. For at least half of that time, she worked at a school with a population of 80% males. Recently, she was asked to be on a board of directors that consists of 10 other people, with her being the first female on this board. Working in the field of mental health counseling, she was used to being in classes with mostly females and the occasional male. Now she's a school counselor at an international school and finds herself working with mostly female colleagues. Veronica is an editor at a small community newspaper. She's been there since February 2019. At age 26, this is her first office job, having worked in retail and food service beforehand. She's also a performer who sings and plays guitar. Welcome, illustrious women. I'm so glad you're willing to take this time to be with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your experiences with discrimination and inequities in the workplace. Judy, would you like to kick us off? Okay, again, 50 years in outside sales. So I've currently had 40 years now in selling insurance. I was also a investment advisor, even though my brother was partners with me and he basically handled that. But that's almost, almost an entirely male field. Certainly was in 1980 when I joined. Prior to that though, I was also in other fields that were male-based back then. So, you know, 50 years, I could talk about this for hours. Just to say that I've had my share of uh, sexual assaults and sexual, you know, where they tell you that if you're going to say no, they're going to go for your job. I've gone through all of that and believe that it is something that women today need to be aware of that it can happen. Again, 50 years with men, I have been thrown up against the wall once or twice. Well, Judy, I'm really sorry that you went through that. And I'm really glad that you're here to tell other women what it was like and what it still is like and can be like if we're not on the lookout and working together with one another to make sure that doesn't happen again. Thank you. What can you tell us about your experience, Jennifer? 
broadcasting is predominantly male in general, and journalism, thankfully, is a little bit more broad with either sex. However, in the broadcasting in particular, it's just an old white guys network. It's just always been that way. It is literally at WLS where I work, every host Monday through Friday is a male, a white male over 50. There's no diversity with race or with sex. And it's frustrating because while I do have this show, I don't get the same kind of support with a team. I don't have producer, you know, the male hosted shows have teams of three, four people. I don't, it's just very frustrating. I feel like I'm in 1975 sometimes when I walk through the halls and I was just recently watching a video. My father was a journalist as well and he was interviewing the late journalist, Mike Royko. It was 1982 and they were having a conversation about ERA protests and things that were happening in Chicago at that time and nationwide. And I think, wow, have we gotten anywhere? Have we developed at all? And here we are so many years later. It's frustrating. So I saw my mom go through this as well. She was a broadcaster and she was actually harassed so much so that she went to try to get some justice and was basically said, you know, thanks, but don't let the door hit your butt on the way out. And I think that what you see again and again and again in this industry is it just gets so exhausting after a while. And then the movie Bombshell came out and it's like the fear of coming forward and speaking your truth is the fear that you'll never get work again, that you'll get labeled certain things. There's so much stigma attached to standing up to the harassment and the inappropriateness and the retaliation and all the other things that come with this profession. And I just feel like sometimes we're going backwards instead of forwards all the time, actually feel like you're going backwards instead of forwards. So yeah, it's very real. I'm happy to be employed, but it's a very real issue. You didn't mention it, but do you find that there's a discrepancy in the salaries between the men and yourself? Do you know that information? <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> so. ridiculously true. Yes. I, I am the lowest paid by so much. It's, it's absolutely insane. Women doing the exact same job and they make a fraction. And that to me is not acceptable yet. It's still happening. I mean, we see it with professional athletes in every profession, USA, hands down, equal pay. There's no equal rights, equal pay, all of it. And I don't understand how that can be so. My son is 14 years old and he's got a female principal. He's got a female teacher. And I remember him saying to me, mom, why have there not been any female presidents? I have a principal in my school as a, as a female. My teacher's a female. Why aren't the women running the country too? And it's like, thank God his filter says that, but nobody else's is. Well, of course, many people's filter it is saying that, but I can just only hope that through time that will shift. Yeah, I hope so too. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this show because I think that when you're a male and I'm one of those women that is surrounded by men, I had brothers, I had sons, I have grandchildren that are boys. I mean, I just have had men around me my whole life. And the men that I know, the men that I love are caring people, but they can't possibly see the world through a female lens. And they don't have women telling them, except maybe angry women, and they can't hear angry women. They need to have a straight ahead, honest, but heartfelt conversation where they can understand what's really happening. And that's my hope for doing this show, that people will actually listen and hear us because we're not beating a table or carrying signs and yelling things. We're trying to just speak our truth and have them hear us instead of building up walls where they can't hear. Thank you for that, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Mary Beth, how about you? My experience with discrimination has really been about the different expectations for men and women in the workplace. 
the different expectations about how you should carry yourself and carry conversations in the boardroom and outside of it. I work in education now, but my whole life I've been on different boards of directors and have been labeled as aggressive when maybe I was just being assertive. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I find that I see a lot of articles for employers to like, if you're trying to attract female candidates, you should stay away from words like competitive, which I wholeheartedly disagree with because I think there's a lot of really tough competitive women that would apply for those jobs. So the discrimination that I see is, is frustrating because of the, the norms and the what's, what's expected of how we're supposed to act. I fortunately haven't had a whole lot with sexual discrimination and, and that sort of Maybe in my early years when I was in the building industry, people would talk to you because you were female. <laughs> but, and I think that opened more doors at that time because I was in my 20s. I don't know if I'd have those same privileges today, which is unfortunate. But I find a lot of my students that I work with won't apply for jobs unless they have every single skill set that's listed on the job application. So they fill the narrative that we're not supposed to apply for things that we're not 100% involved with, where men aren't told those same stories. So it's, it's kind of interesting how I see discrimination playing out, not just in this current generation, but what I've experienced through my career. Thank you, Mary Beth. Shruti, how about you? I was thinking about this, and I think I was actually a little oblivious to the discrimination that was happening around me in college, because I went to school for psychology and social work, and more times than not, there were all women in my classrooms. And it wasn't until I went for a minor in forensic psychology that I started seeing men pop up in my classes. I actually didn't even notice it. It was a classmate that brought it to my attention. I thought about that and the field that I was going into. And it was interesting to think about. And then right after graduation, I got a job in higher education in Boston. And it was at a school that was 80% male. Again, I was a little oblivious to it until I was in this position where I was a hearing officer and I would be sometimes in charge of telling these kids, well, you're allowed to continue with the semester or you're, you need to take a semester off based on the stuff that you've done. And they didn't take that well. And I did get some comments sometimes about hormones and that maybe was what was driving my decisions. And my male coworkers didn't. There were five of us on that campus that did exactly what I did. And my male coworkers did not get those comments. And it wasn't until that point that I started noticing the discrimination. And then since then, I've been aware of it. And now I'm in a position where I work at an international school and most of my coworkers are female. So I'm not feeling it as much, but I'm definitely aware of it all the time. So most of your coworkers are female. I'm curious who runs the school. It's a male director, but this is after a female director who was the director for 18 years. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Karen, can you share your experiences with us? Thanks, Kim. I can sit and listen to everybody here for a while. In dental school, definitely male dominated, definitely male instructor dominant. But even before that, I'll say that here in my own household, there were six boys, five girls. And as girls, we were told, well, probably going to have a bunch of babies like mom, so don't take a man's seat in college. So I didn't know early on that girls could be dentists or anything else. I think I was going to be a nun, a teacher, or a nurse, maybe a nurse. I kind of went into dental school in the back door. I was an assistant. My dad was a dentist, was an assistant for him, and then went on to dental hygiene school, and I thought that would be it. And then when I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll go to dental school. And I was able to get in to uh, get accepted Northwestern and U of I at the time with my associate's degree from dental hygiene. And I was very proud of that. 
And then it was a whole nother world. But on the tough days in dental school, which there were many, many tough days, very competitive, people not wanting you to succeed. I would go look at the posters of the women that were ahead of me, even smaller numbers of women who actually couldn't even get jobs when they got out. They, they wouldn't get hired by another dentist. My, like I said, my locker was in the men's locker room, which was interesting. I had fun with that. In my first quarter in dental school, we had this intense, you had to cut the teeth off, wax them up to certain precise measurements and all this sort of stuff. And when I handed in, I still remember very carefully handing it in to the instructor. And he looked at it and took the measurements, went back and forth on the bite. And he goes, not bad for a woman. You know, that's how it started in the dental school. And wow. As I noticed, dental offices, successful dental offices with male dentists usually have five women behind them, making them look good. It was interesting. And now they're finding dentistry is changing. Now they're finding there's about 50% women in dental school now, smaller class size, and they're finding it didn't take a big brute football player guy to do the dentistry. So it's interesting. And then when I thought I'd go up that ladder, that political ladder and get involved politically, after a while, that just wore me out. You get tired of fighting, get tired of pushing. You know, just like, accept me for who I am, take gender out of it. You know, I'm doing my best and I'm taking care of people. So that's a little bit of the background. Thank you for that. Veronica. As my intro said, this is my first office job and I have a female boss, which actually flips the discrimination around, which I'll talk about in a minute. But my first job at 16 was at McDonald's and I was routinely harassed by this 19 and 20 year old both guys, I'd get slapped on the ass. And what broke the last straw was they called me as if there was like an emergency. And I came around a corner and they had a hamburger like open to some kind of condiment and it crashed into it with my face. And I went to my boss at least twice. He was this old man and he kind of just shrugged it off, kind of boys will be boys attitude. And I finally had enough and quit. I would like go home so emotionally drained and upset. And then I had a few other jobs, but nothing really stands out until I worked in retail. And I had this very immature guy as my boss. He would be totally normal in person, but then as soon as he would leave five minutes later, he would send text messages that were really inappropriate. He'd make comments, but I kind of viewed him as pathetic and harmless. So I just went on and did my job, but it definitely was uncomfortable a lot of the time. And now in the job I'm in now, it's mostly women in the workplace, which is really cool but it's a very different kind of toxic environment with the way my boss leads her team. And my other coworker who's near my age, he's the best asset our paper has as far as a reporter goes. The only one with a real journalism education and she regularly belittles him, ignores him. And the rest of us are like, don't quit, please stay. Like, don't take what she says at heart. Yeah, other than uh, just inappropriate behavior, that's as far as my donation really goes. Thank you. So it almost sounds like there's a little reverse discrimination where maybe she's beating up on the guy or maybe it's a youth, exactly. a, a youth thing where he, she sees him as inexperienced. I don't know. What do you yeah, think? It's, it's actually both of that. I think a lot of it is, because I get that too from her, which I was going to talk about later, is like an age discrimination. Oh, you're young. So even though this person retired and I said, I'm going to take his responsibilities, I'm actually just going to put it on YouTube and not give you any pay raise, but you could deal with it kind of thing. Got it. I remember some of those experiences in my own early career. 
I'm just wondering what you would like people to understand about the struggle to be female in the workplace. What would you tell someone who wants to be fair and wants to do the right thing? Speak up. I think that if enough people are squeaky wheels, it has to be done. Just listening to that story about the hamburger in the face, I mean, inappropriate behavior is inappropriate behavior. It needs to be called out. Just recently, and I had a female boss who was defending inappropriate behavior with a male coworker because they were higher up in the hierarchy, and she, I think, is afraid for her positioning as well. There's so much fear that is running instead of justice. And the thing is, too, if you speak up and complain, quote unquote, then you're a problem, right? Whereas like we talked about, if you're, if you're a male speaking up for what you believe in, you're setting boundaries, you're holding people to a standard, you're bringing out the best in your team. It's filtered differently based on who the communicator is, I'm finding, at least in my work. I don't know if that's a blanket statement. It's just, I'm a big believer of what's just. You can stand in what you believe in and be I call it like being like an oak tree. And I think about this a lot. You can be a Martin Luther King and you can be a Gandhi. You can stand in your truth without being a problem, so to speak. I think that too much screaming in vagina caps is actually not helping. I really don't. I know that I, I just said the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but at the same time, the vibration of complaint just adds to the soup of vibrations of complaint. You have to really speak a truth that comes from a steady, calm presence. And then that is going to be heard better than someone screaming with a poster in front of an office. And that is, I think, the fine line that we are always walking. But the calmer we are in our communication about what's just versus the screaming about what's unjust, I think will help in the long run, if that makes any sense. So back when I was in insurance and I worked for a major corporation, I had lots of things that I disagreed with. And they happened to both men and women who weren't the top men. Again, I saw things happening that I thought was because I was a woman. So I left and became a broker on my own. As soon as I could, I convinced my brother to come and join me. And I did that for me. He had been a banker and he had been downsized twice, both times I tried to help him, the second time it took. But I knew that whether I was dealing with women, and mainly I deal a lot with women or men, in the investment side, they wanted to talk to a white-haired male. I see and have seen many women fight that and become successful. Mm -hmm. But I looked at the reality of what I was dealing with. And instead of trying to soldier through, I'm not a big soldier through type of person, don't have the attention to soldier through, I convinced him, I always say I hired him as my white boy mm -hmm. because he then handled all the 401ks, I handled all of the group insurance. Still had some issues, but not many in, in the ins health insurance side of it as far as a, women, a woman's issue. But sometimes I believe you just have to figure that out. Sometimes you have to take a male partner. Sometimes you just have to say, I'm not screaming anymore. I'm going to resolve this the way that's going to work best for me. It worked for him and it worked for me. That's how I resolved they want to talk to white guys. Because the general public wanted to. Now, 25 years later, as a, a female investment advisor, people don't think twice about going to one. They did back then. 
I know one of the things that I do for myself, this isn't my own struggle, but I know that I'm going to say 98% of the people that I do business with personally, like repeat business, are women. My accountant's a woman. My doctor's a woman. My dentist is Karen O'Donnell, a female. You know, I look purposefully to do business with women because I think that there is a fundamental difference between how men tend to problem solve and how women problem solve. And women tend to be more relational. This is, I know stereotypes, but it's often true. And I want to be relational. I don't devalue how men do things. I think they get things done, but they don't get them done the same way that I would want to get them done. So I tend to gravitate more towards women. And I think that having the choice and being able to do that is a really good thing. Because I think about 20 years ago, I couldn't find a female dentist or I couldn't find a female doctor. You know, I was even thinking back to that riddle when I was a child, there was a riddle And I remember hearing it in school and I couldn't figure it out. And I'm a pretty good problem solver. So I remember repeating it several times to people and no one knew the answer. And today it's such a no brainer. So the riddle went like this. A little boy gets hit by a car and rushed to the ER. The ER doctor takes a look at the boy and says, I can't Mm -hmm. operate on that boy. He's my son. But the doctor is not the boy's father. Today, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, it's his mother. But back then, nobody could figure that out. That was like a puzzle. Oh, was it his, did he have a stepmother? Was it his priest? You know, nobody could figure it out. And the fact that people now understand that, I think it's a little bit better. But I also am wondering, standing in our own truth is important, but I think about bullies and I think about victims, and I don't think victims standing up for themselves really stop bullies all that much. I think it's bystanders getting involved and helping to fortify the victim. I think as women, we can fortify one another, and I think we're pretty good at that, but I also think that maybe it's going to take some men to mm-hmm. stand up to men in power and say, hey, that's not right. Yeah, Mary Beth. Sure. One of the suggestions that I give to our our new graduates when they're going to go into corporate settings is that they find several other females to ally with and that when they're in situations where they're in meetings with those people, they support, I hate the word support because it's so, it's so female, right? We use it constantly. Let's all support each other. Exactly. But, (laughs) but they basically, you know, if somebody has a good idea and it's a man that's sitting around the table, nobody else has to say, that's a great idea to validate it. Unfortunately, we have to play this game. And if you don't get good at playing the game early on, you're just going to become more bitter as life goes on. I feel like it's frustrating that we still have to play these games, but if we want to make progress, hopefully the riddle that is now so clear to everyone will be the same as the woman that has an opinion that's actually valued. And I I think that we're getting to that point, but we need as other females to support other women's ideas and validate that what they're saying is accurate or true or should happen because then there's more voices around the table that are saying the same thing. And that also helps us move initiatives forward, which usually are hopefully going to result in that woman running up the ladder. The problem is I've seen a lot of females who get up that ladder and then pull it up behind them. Mm. And that's a problem. Right. You guys know that there are so many female pilots of planes yet they don't have them talking to the cabin. They have the co-pilot because they're a man talking to the cabin because they're worried that if they hear a female is flying the plane, they're going to lose face and panic. I mean, this is a fact. Think about it. Every time you fly, do you ever hear a woman say, welcome aboard? 
Never. I, I did recently and it oh, blew good. my mind. It blew my mind though. Yeah. I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. a female pilot. Cause I have a friend who flies planes and I'm going to ask her that question if she announces or if she has her co-pilot announce. So what That's I would crazy. ask is, is what CEO is making that okay? It's just because they kept doing it that way, right? It's like smoking on airplanes was okay because we didn't have the data and the science to say, it's not okay, people. This is a Petri dish. Nobody should be smoking on it. But then they get the data. So if we had enough people speaking out, it's why mindfulness now is getting traction because of COVID. It's suddenly okay to worry about your immune system, to meditate, to do all of these things and really work on the mind-body connection. It used to be woo-woo and now it is a necessity to survival during a time of COVID. I think it's going to take something monstrous like that for research to come out that says a woman's voice can be soothing and calming when you fly, have the female who is the captain speak to the cabin. It is just some person decided that men will make you feel more comfortable, so have the guy say it. And then it became law. And so we have to act and we have to act differently to change that trajectory, but it takes somebody doing it first. And I think that's what's always so scary to be the first person out there. I mean, I'm, I've been binge watching you guys, these <laughs> shows from the 16th century Europe and people were beheaded for not being Catholic or for not being Protestant or whatever. You were in the wrong camp, bye-bye, off with your head, the king says so. It was dire and for thousands of years, people were just killed for having the wrong beliefs. So we have made some progress. However, it's always scary to be the first one to speak out about something. I think part of that is even programming because of what's happened in the past. So it's a tough place to be in, but we have to start bringing a flashlight out and pull up the rocks and go, hey guys, do you know how many female captains are actually flying the plane, but that don't speak because some CEO said they shouldn't? That should be a news story and it's not getting covered. So I have a question of Mary Beth. When, yes. when new college terms before now and in your orientation, do you bring the whole class together, both the males and the females and talk about such things as sexual harassment? Absolutely. Such as protecting yourself. And I have to say this, I had a couple of instances that happened when I was in my twenties, I worked at Blue Cross that happened, they were awful. I resolved them, but they happened because I did something stupid, all right? I thought I could handle things that I couldn't handle. And I'm just wondering if you talk to young women and you say, if something happens, get crazy, be a crazy person, because that number one will usually stop it. But I didn't know that. Somebody had to tell me, just get crazy. And the second time something happened, I went crazy and like magic, it stopped. But had I known about it the first time, perhaps it wouldn't have happened to begin with. And how you do it with both men and women in the room, that alone will tell the men, don't do this. Don't put her in that position. Yeah, I can only speak for the school that I'm currently working at, but we do have it in orientation. We do an actual hour-long session with all of the students in the same room. We also have all of the athletes go through something. Um, it's actually a Biden initiative, and it's, it's called It's On Us. It's a whole campaign that you swear a pledge that you're going to be a good citizen, basically. And the, the simplicity of it is, uh, please don't rape people. That's always a plus, but it goes beyond that. We actually have something called the first year experience. And in those programs, we talk about healthy relationships. What does it look like? If you're at a party with your friend, do you leave your friend? How do you take responsibility, bystander, upstander? So there's a lot of programming that happens for young students. And I also feel like we work with a lot of first generation students. So 
we look at them as, as if they're our own kids and they've never been to campus life before. And so those expectations of what is safe and what isn't, they just haven't had any experience yet. I'm sure it's the same at colleges throughout the United States. I think that nationally, people know the statistics, especially in higher ed, about rape statistics in general, even just discrimination. And from me personally in the career center, when I have a student who's going to go on a new internship, I have a conversation with them about sexual harassment. What does it look like? How can they talk to me about it if something happens? Because we want them to be protected too. So yeah, absolutely. It's not a topic that can be swept under the rug or just assumed that they understand. It has to be for both the men and the women. And what I've seen in the past is, or at least when I went to high school and college, it was like, here's how you can modify your behavior so this doesn't happen to you. And now it's, don't worry about her behavior. Don't do this which right. is helpful because it's not just one-sided and we're going to blame the victim. And that being said, it doesn't just happen to women. There's a whole nother side to it, but I think it's important to note. I have to say that this is the first time in my career I had to take a sexual harassment quiz. It was like a corporate mandate where, you know, these really bad actors are like, Hey, Judy, are you going out afterwards? You know, I mean, it was really cheesy. They put these scenarios together, but then at the end of the video, you had to take a quiz and like, what's the right response? And did you pass the quiz? And then that was sent to HR. It was this whole big to do. And I was actually impressed that my corporation had us all take this, except then I found out not everybody had to take it. And there were some people that were exempt from taking it. And everything that I was experiencing was going against the video training that I had just taken. It's like, wait a second, you're having us take this test, but not everybody has to take this test. It's just showing again that there is different rules for people. But I do think that's an encouraging thing that if corporations have that, I think everyone should have it. It should be a blanket thing that here are the standards. This is what's acceptable. This is what's not acceptable. There's no gray. It's just sort of like a dress code for work, you know, no half shirts, please. Whatever it is, you have to follow the standards. I think that would be a good thing so that there's no question about that in every business, whether you're a small B2B or, you know, you're a big corporation, it would be good to have some sort of consistency. Mary Beth, you mentioned you don't just change the victim's behavior, but sometimes the victim's behavior, I think, or it certainly was back when I was a victim, is that you do have to know if you smile at a man, they think you want them, right? I mean, this has just been the experience. Certainly in my generation, you talk to even an older man and all of a sudden he thinks you're interested. You're not. You're just being your nice, sweet, Judy self. I think that still goes on today. Men, boys have a different idea of what a woman being nice is all about. Maybe I'm wrong. I think a hamburger in the face is a little bit too much to have to put up with, but I'm sure they liked her. Look what a pretty girl she is. So all of a sudden, this behavior is part of her being a nice, pretty girl. And sometimes you just have to recognize that that's happening as the girl. Yeah, but I don't think we should ever accept that. I think that we absolutely, and it probably starts at the home where parents need to teach their young boys what you can and can't do, or just parents in general teaching their children and us having a, more of a focus on it through the school systems too, because yeah, like, oh, he's picking on you terribly and you're like coming home crying. Uh, he's calling you all these names. I remember when I moved up from um, Catholic school in the Bronx, to go to Damascus, there was this boy who would just say the worst, most foul stuff about me. I've never even heard before. Very sexual stuff. 
and I ended up slapping him in the face. Um, uh, my parents were really proud of me for that because they knew what I was going through, but I told him to stop a million times. He didn't. He ended up asking me out. And I obviously I slapped him in the face, so I didn't really accept that as a, oh, you were just showing you liked me. Oh, okay. No, we got to yes. kill that. That's got to be in the past. But, yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> well, yeah, just shutting it down, like being, having the confidence like that I absolutely did not have in my situation where I was 16 and these boys, even though they're just three years older than me, I just remember them being very tall. I don't know. They very much intimidated me, but having the space and the confidence to stand up for yourself is also something that we should be teaching our children too, just to change these norms. Yeah. And, and boys and girls. Something to be... I think there's also something to be said about the culture that you grew up in because someone earlier said something about permission and being given this permission to stand up for yourself. Okay, here I am, Indian girl who's been raised to know that it's rude to confront your elders or to confront people that you work for, male or female. And so I blame that or I credit that for my personality and being docile about certain things and taking a while to pay attention to the fact that this is not okay and I don't want to accept it because what you accept will continue, right? And it took me a while to get that. But I think culture does play a part in that and being educated to know that there's a difference between being respectful and not tolerating discrimination. There is that difference. Well, and I like, I'm going to jump in here too. I like that, Mary Beth, that you've got the boys and the girls together, the women and the men. Uh, I had a psychologist once that I had my niece when she was starting college get together uh, with some of the girls and help them to be coached on the parties when you get to school and decisions to make and never go to a party or come alone. And she said, no, you get the boys in here too, because you can't totally blame them if, ever, if there's alcohol involved and they're not understanding these signals. Get everybody together and get that on the table. But I'm jumping back to Jennifer too. Kim, I, I don't know how many flights, you fly a million miles a year or something like that. You've only had one female captain say something. Now that is something really big. And here again, and I'm in a small office, I'm not in the corporation, stuff like that, but I've had to tread with relationships with patients as well. First, I worked for my dad. I had other opportunities. By the time I came out of school, in 84, I had other opportunities for graduate school for one. I wanted to go into oral surgery. And I remember the interview for that. I could get in. But they had hired, they had a woman in the program the year before me, the first time a woman was in the program. And her assertiveness came across as that she was the woman with the capital B. And so they weren't really ready to take another woman on because women who are assertive are bitches. Men who are assertive are go-getters, but the women are bitches. So they weren't, and that, that was okay at the time. But even in, with my father, who I love dearly on the other side, in that dental office, I wasn't the son. I was the daughter. I was perceived as one of the other staff members, support staff. I wasn't perceived as the associate doctor. And even one of the patient that came in that was a friend of his and saw me and not him, he goes, oh my gosh, oh, I didn't, oh, you're a woman. And he got up and left. And that has changed a lot because... As Kim knows, my focus has turned into because of my nature and maybe because of being female, it's been a relationship-centered business. And, and I recently had some dentistry done with a male dentist friend of mine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to coach this guy. I totally need to coach this guy. 
I was just going to ask, since we've been sheltering in place in my state, my 14-year-old boys have been at home with us, and they like to play a game called Fortnite quite a bit. Uh, so if you're not familiar with it, it is a monopolizer of boys' time. <laughs> but what I'm noticing, and I actually had a conversation with them the other day, is that all of the characters in it that have the cool gear are the women. So when they're playing, they're playing as a woman. And I said, you know, I wonder what this is going to do to them psychologically in like six years when they see female leaders. Like, is this going to help the whole, I know this person can be tough and can battle. And I just think it's kind of an interesting psychological experiment that they've put a preference for them on picking the female avatars because they have more gear, they can do more things. It's interesting that just a game and it's a choice, but I feel like it will have an impact later on. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome to hear because there's the video game industry especially is so male dominated. It's so disgusting. The women like using them in these stories as props. They're not really characters. But I've only heard of Fortnite because it's so popular. I don't know anything about it, but that's really cool. I will say none of the women are bad looking. Okay. <laughs> so, so there is probably some sexism happening. However, from a, a so powerful be... characters and make it yeah, an advantage to pick a female character. That's awesome. Cool. I don't mean to reduce this to a very simple answer because I don't think it's simple, but I'm sitting here listening to the conversation and I'm wondering how much of this is attributed to, I write in my book, Secrets of Happy Couples, about the sex romance dance. And I think that men are generally programmed, whether it's taught or genetic, whatever it is, that sex is the goal. Like that's what they want. They're looking for sex. They'll use romance to get sex, but they really want sex is the goal. And women, we're more looking for romance and we'll use sex to get romance, but we really value the romance. Now, most of us like both, but if we have to stop and choose one, it's usually along gender lines. And I think maybe part of the problem is that we actually look at our male counterparts and they look at us as being the same rather than different. And so men are looking at women like they want sex just like they do. And they're actually think maybe they're doing you some kind of favor by paying you some attention. And we women, we want the romance. And maybe we're thinking that when a guy is being sexual with us, what he's really doing is romancing us. And it gets confusing because we like to be appreciated for who we are, but it gets confusing in the workplace. That's not how we want to be appreciated. We want to be appreciated for what we're bringing to the table. And that's not our, you know, TNA, if you will, that's something else. So just Maybe we'll take some more conversations like this and maybe a conversation like this with some men so we can have a conversation with one another and not just be the women banding together to support one another, but maybe educating men and maybe men educating us because I know I said I've surrounded myself with men and men will say, you know, women will tease you. They'll like Judy, they'll smile at you or they're sending us all these mixed signals and we may not even be aware that we're doing that or that it's being interpreted that way. So maybe a conversation with both groups would be a good idea. I don't know. What do you think about that? And then we'll wrap up and close. So if you want to make a comment to that, and if there's any closing remarks you'd like to say, we can do that. It's just a quick thought, the whole sex romance thing, if it has anything to do with the fact that we're a lot of the times, especially with young men, we're objects, we're objectified a lot in media and especially in video games, but so sex as the goal is more of a, an, it's like, it's a conquest. Yeah. And then us with the romance is an intimate relationship thing. And I don't know who said it, but women are just better at being people. 
better at being emotional creatures who are able to have relationships that are intimate in many different ways that aren't sexual or romantic at all. And men have a big problem with that because of societal issues, hence the objectification. Yeah, Kim, that's a great point because there are literally two different filters. I'm experiencing this now, just getting back into the dating world and seeing how men are wired and how women are wired. And, you know, the woman needs like 10 dates to feel that emotional connection, whereas the guys just want sex like in the first three dates, right? Well, not now with social distancing. First 60 seconds. Right, in the first 60 <laughs> But just how they're even conversing back and forth. This one gentleman seemed like a normal human being and he's like, hey, I love that picture with you. Where are you? Your legs look great. Like thinking that's a nice thing to say that's going to get me to interact with him. Not even understanding that that's the worst thing he could say to get me to think twice about talking to him. So I do think there is a wiring problem not a problem, but it's just a misunderstanding because of wiring. And so it's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. There's two playbooks here. And so I think that the best way is to have both playbooks at the table to discuss the differences very, very openly. So there's complete full disclosure. Openly, evenly, and non-defensively. Those would be my my three words to describe it. I love that idea. Maybe I'll be having you back if you're interested. Sure. Conscious men, there's John Gray's newest book is Conscious Men. I know that Jennifer is being very, very deliberate in trying to raise a conscious young man. And I know you did as well, Kim, which is different from what our generation or my generation has raised. There was a definite, in my family, the boys definitely had more privilege than the girls in my family growing up. And their tasks were like cleaning out the basement and garbage and stuff where the girls were learning to cook and all that other stuff. So starting in the home and um, bringing some conscious men to the table to help us to get that out there, I think great. So my religion is Darwinism. And if you go right to Darwinism, it explains everything. And we keep trying to think that we can change this Darwinism. That's how they're wired. But by knowing that, I think then you know what the playbook is and you can adjust behaviors to navigate in that system. Which is what I said earlier about telling women where boys are coming from. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to that. And believe it or not, with not a whole lot of judgment, just rational thinking that this is where they're coming from, this is where you're coming from, and just be aware of it. Be aware of it. 50 years from now, when you're sitting and talking about, I've had 50 years of doing these things, I think Darwin is still going to be at play. Maybe this will change it. And I'm talking about the virus, but I don't think so. (laughs) Well, and I don't know that I want men to start acting like women and women to start acting like men. I like the difference. I happen to love men. I think all the women on this call love men too. I mean, men are great, but we do have a definite mismatch, miscommunication, misunderstanding. Anybody else have anything they want to say in closing? Yeah, I just wanted to point out, just like white supremacy, misogyny is in our patriarchal society. It's in there so deep-rooted and it's hard to notice. And I feel like for someone who wants to be an ally, it's so deep-rooted that they might misinterpret something that hinders us and hold us back as being protective or helpful. But just because we're women, we don't require being protected or we don't require your help. We just need to be taken seriously and heard pay attention to your thinking and being mindful and being aware of how you interact with the women in your life versus the men. Right. I love that, Veronica. It's just like, just because I think differently than you do doesn't make me wrong. 
right? We can both have our point of view and maybe work together and find a third answer that combines both of our thinking and really hits the mark. I love that. Mary Beth, did you have anything? I just think every corporation in America should have bias training because this is at the root of all of it. I think we've been ingrained to think that bias is this terrible thing. I have a bias for Coke over Pepsi. It's a bias. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> but when we treat it in such a way that it shows the way that we think, or when I say, don't act like a girl or don't do this, that doesn't help the whole messaging of the value of women. And I literally said something like that to my son one day. And then I was like, why did I just say that? Like, I have lots of strong females. And if I had a daughter, I would want her to be like a girl. You know what I mean? Like, so I want her to be strong and successful. And yet the way I was using it wasn't my intention. But I think just getting real about what our biases are and having these conversations in corporate settings and with men are helpful. And if you do have a show with male representation, I have someone who changed my life by something he gave me. I had a situation where I wanted to present an idea to a male counterpart superior. And I asked him how I should approach it. I said, here's what I was thinking. I want to approach it this way. And he said, you should stop being as direct as you're being because you're thinking of yourself in like an autocratic uh, mode. That's the way I tend to lead. I take input, but I want to make decisions and move forward. And he said, start using words like, perhaps we should think about such and such and such, or let's collaborate on this. And I'm telling you, those two phrases in and of themselves, while they don't demean anything that I'm trying to move forward, have helped me to navigate through the system because they come off as not as direct, but can still get the results that I was looking for. And it was really just a matter of how you will be accepted in a male society because strong female women don't not to get political, but look at politics, right? It's the first thing we're looking at is, is how do we polarize? And it's the same thing in the workplace. So for what it's worth, I think bias has a lot to do with it and just how we view each other. The more we know about that, the better we can arm ourselves to defend it. Thank you. Everything we're talking about, it just makes so much sense. Every year in December, I go to a conference for women in Massachusetts. And when I started going 10 years ago, it was 6,000 women that would get together in one day and we would go to these sessions on women empowerment and understanding and talk about topics that affect women in the workplace mostly, but some of it was personal as well. And since I've been going, when I first went 10 years ago, I don't think any men attended, but at this last one in December, there were over 12,000 women in the room and there were hundreds of men there. And they were looking for understanding and they were looking to address those biases. And I think it's great that that's starting already. So I just wanted to comment on that because I think it is happening. It's not as much as we'd like, but I've seen it happen. And hopefully those numbers will just grow. To piggyback on that, the quote I wanted to end this with was Edmund Burke's quote from back not long after World War II. And he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. And I think that's what we are hoping for, that the good people who are listening to this podcast will maybe do something a little bit different than the status quo next time they see a woman being marginalized. I want to thank my guests. I love you all. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for your time and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast as much as I did. I look forward to one day doing the podcast with men and women to dialogue about inequities in the workplace. Next week, I have another panel of excellent humans who just happen to have darker skin, which has subjected them to lives I can only begin to imagine. I hope you'll join us for this conversation. You're going to love it.
Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast. And remember to subscribe.